love uh, speaking here because you all are so friendly, so friendly. At times, I've been able to share where, where the audience is not quite as friendly and uh, quite as empathetic, and perhaps you've had that opportunity uh, to share at a time where uh, those that you're talking to feel like they're just staring daggers at you. I've had that, that at times, not very often. Uh, Paul knew that really well. At one point, he's preaching, and he recognizes there in the temple complex that half of the folks are Democrats and half of them are Republicans. Right? He says he sees that half of them are not Democrats, but half of them are Pharisees, half of them are Sadducees. These two camps that hate each other, and he uses that ploy to say, "Listen, I'm a Pharisee," and then everybody goes up in arms, and, they, and the, the text says they start. They want to pull him limb from limb uh, as, as he shares, and he uses that to share the gospel. Another time he's preaching to actually 20,000 people or more gather uh, in the theater in Ephesus to cry out, Great is thine of Ephesians, uh, because he's been preaching the gospel so much that, that people are turning from idols to serve the living God. And, and he's like, Let me at him. That's not a very empathetic crowd, but he wants to go share the gospel with them. Well, today we find Paul, but we also find Elijah in a similar setting. I think thousands and thousands of people on the mountaintop there as he, as he just presents the case for God to the people that want him dead. They literally want him dead. They've been searching nation after nation to find Elijah to put him to death. And he's going to stand up there in front of the king, the army, and all the people, and he's going to cry out in prayer to God. These are some serious prayer warriors. Some serious prayer warriors. And when we enter the realm of spiritual warfare, there is no way to enter but on, the, on your knees. On your knees. We fight our battles on our knees. And so this text will encourage us along three principles for prayer, three principles for prayer. And you see kind of where we are here. We find these different examples that are given in verses 8, really all the way through verse 15. But here we have the example of faith, the example of a, a gospel motive we saw last week, and then today this example of gospel prayer. We'll look at three principles, though. Uh, draw three principles from, from this text on how we can also uh, have successful, profitable uh, prayer before the Lord. The first one is a little bit of a surprise and maybe not as popular to consider today. Uh, it's the example of submissive prayer. The example of submissive prayer. And this is evident in the life of Elijah. This is extremely evident in Elijah. But also with Paul. Look at what he says here. He says, I, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you. Those are his prayers. Always in my prayers. Asking that what? Somehow, by God's will, I may now at last come to you. So he had this intense longing for years to go and visit Rome. But Paul's agenda was not set by Paul. His agenda was set by God through the Holy Spirit. And so he's waiting and waiting, and, and he literally is praying every day that he will be able to go to Rome and share a spiritual gift with them. He believes it's profitable. He believes it's helpful. But he lays that on the altar of God's will 
and he submits his prayers in the name of Jesus. I think this is a very helpful first principle in our prayers. We're praying God's priorities first. God's priorities first. And we find this illustrated in the life of Elijah. Uh, today we're just going to look at Elijah as our primary illustration to walk us through this text. Right? You find Elijah here a prayer warrior as well. He's known as a prayer warrior, but you follow his life and he is changing the world through prayers. Look at first. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And right, we're going through First uh, and Second Samuel in our Wednesday night. It bursts on the scene, this prophet. And we learned about Elijah. Uh, here's kind of the first time he's mentioned. Elijah, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord lives, surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now imagine giving that to the President of the United States. Uh, okay, they'll just shove you aside as a, as a weirdo. But then it doesn't rain for six months, for a year, for two years. And all of a sudden, who is that guy? <laughs> Bring him back around here. This is a problem. This is crushing the economy. It's crushing the kingdom. Now, James gives us a little more information on this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now that's some serious prayer. No, that's an amazing God who's listening to a mortal man. But I do think that we could just kind of zoom out a little bit and wonder, would that be perhaps, like, is Elijah just, does he want to see human suffering? No. That's not what's going on here. Uh, he knows that God's purposes are greater than our comfort. God's purposes are greater than our comfort. And so he prays that a difficult time will come in fulfillment of what God commands him to pray. And so God's purposes are brought by the prayers of his people. And so the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east Right, and so Elijah hid. Elijah prayed. God ceases the rain. Elijah hides. First Kings seventeen two to four. Um, okay, let me read. Uh, let me read the the verses two to four there in chapter seventeen. The Lord said to Elijah, "Go to the east, hide in the brook Cherith, near where it enters the Jordan River." Okay, so first of all, he goes and hides out. Uh, way over here in Gilead, this is where you kind of work more where he's from, and there's a little brook there, uh, and, and it's kind of more like hiding. Uh, he's he's hiding there, and and no one's getting rain, no more food, um, and it's getting serious. But God is sending who to feed him? Anybody know? Ravens, right? He's got these air carriers. Think these drones are special with Amazon? God is God, like he's been doing that for years. He brings ravens to bring food 
uh, to Elijah. No one can find him. Um, they start searching for him because they want, you know, they want to control what's going on there. But what is really going on? What, who is Elijah against? Baal. Baal. And, and Baal, Balaam, the, the god that, that Ahab, the king, is worshiping because of Jezebel, his wife. Jezebel, who's from Phoenicia, is the creator of rain in their lore. The one who created rain, the one who brings rain and withholds rain. So God is speaking their language. You think your God can control the rain? I'm going to send my prophet very publicly, and he's going to say there's no rain, and there's no rain for three years. And in fact, this is what God does. After the book dries up, he says, go to Zarephath. That's like telling a Christian to go to Medina or Mecca and hide from Muslim invaders. He's like, I want you to go right to their camp, and where, where everyone who's worshiping Baal is... Uh, dried up and, and not able to live, you're going to go there and I'm going to sustain you. You know how? You keep reading that chapter? Through a, through a poor widow. A poor widow that God miraculously uses uh, to, to feed Elijah through everybody else in this region is dying of thirst, of hunger. And God is saying, but my prophet is sustained. God is showing... God is showing that his purposes are greater. I I don't know Elijah's heart, but I kind of wonder if he's thinking, Lord, do I really have to pray this? He he wants to eat. He wants to drink. He's just like you and I, James says. It's a hard thing to pray for, that there would be no food or water. But he knows their spiritual prophet is so much better than their physical prophet. And so he's praying to God on a deeper level. We need spirit-filled praying rather than flesh-filled praying. Praying for revival rather than a Rolex. And honestly, in our Christian cultural setting, popular preaching is God wants to give you that without that. Right? But, but we need to bow our knees to God who is sovereign over the rain. And over world kingdoms. And we say, Lord, I have a desire here, but it's not my will, it's thine. I submit my prayers to you, as Paul did in planning to go to Rome, as Elijah did, no doubt in his heart. And you and I do as we look at our future. Lord, I I don't know your best for this. This is my desire, but I submit it to Jesus' name. And so we learn in James four thirteen to 15, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And that's our motto. Right? Trusting in God. My trust is in the Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name, saying, Lord, this is my desire, but I put it in your hands. Reminded of Cooper's poem, God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. 
When people pray against God's will, it's, it's like blasphemy. When people say, I had to really wrestle with God and he finally gave it to me. You fool. If God didn't want you to have it, you don't want it. Do you think you know better than God? That's the way some people talk about praying to God. Now, he loves us, right? And so we have to have a right understanding of God. He loves us. We're his children. And we know that my daddy knows best. And so I submit to his will. Secondly, second principle here, we go from the principle of priorities of prayer, God's priorities first, and then we move to the example of intercessory prayer. Okay. Okay, so there he goes to Zarephath, and that's where we leave him until the big day comes. Um, the example of submissive prayer, now the example of intercessory prayer. Uh, Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Uh, in our prayers, I find that, that praising God is comforting to my soul. Uh, thanking God is comforting. Um, you sing praises, that's joyful. But as soon as you switch to praying for others, that's intercessory prayer. When, when you switch to praying for others, and especially in a spiritual way, all of a sudden there is resistance. Because that's where power is. That's where God is starting to work on earth in a special way. And you'll find it. You'll find so many distractions that come up when you start praying for other people. And yet you look at Paul's prayer list, and it's amazing. He prays for so many people. I'm embarrassed how small my prayer list is. Let me just list a few of them. 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, I pray for you constantly, night and day. You're in my prayers night and day. So there's a person. Philemon, Paul says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Timothy and Philemon are his daily prayer list. Ephesians 1, 15 and following. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. He's praying for that church. Colossians, same thing. Thessalonians, same thing. Philippians, same thing. His prayer list is super long. Right? Paul is a prayer warrior. He loves the gospel, but he's also spending significant chunks of his day interceding for others. Interceding for others. That takes discipline. Right? That takes planning. Uh, that takes a list, probably. Unless your memory is really good. You can play chess with others without even looking at the board. That's amazing. Well, maybe you don't need a prayer list, but I sure do. And we develop the heart that bliss discipline ourselves to prayer. We find this in Elijah as well. At the end of chapter 17, uh, the, the widow's son dies, and Elijah prays for the son and puts himself on the son, and the son comes back to life. He prays and intercedes for this widow of Zarephath. But the huge one here is in 1 Kings 18, and this is the one we are all maybe familiar with. Elijah confronts a king, first of all. Look, look at his Elijah. He does this, and, and he gets to a prayer in just a moment. Uh, Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. All right, they have been waiting for years, and they are dying. Everything is dried up. Obadiah went and told Ahab that Elijah had come. Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he said, Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Troublemaker. Aha. Uh -huh. 
He says, you're the one that caused all the trouble. Is Elijah the one that caused the trouble? No, no. Look at verse 18. I've made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the command of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. We find that Obadiah had been um, hiding 100 prophets of God, right? which is, for those of you who are in uh, some kind of political office that's um, you feel like sometimes it's very difficult, or maybe your, your job, it's difficult to be a Christian. Well, you learn from Obadiah. He had to work right-hand man to Ahab, and yet he maintained a good testimony and actually used his strength and his power to provide for, for those who worship the Lord. And so Obadiah brings Elijah to King Ahab, and, and Elijah's not bashful at all. This guy just says, you're the troublemaker you are the idol, idol worshiper, and God is overthrowing Baal in Israel's midst, and that's why this is all coming to a head. He also confronts the people. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets of Mount Carmel, and Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? I like that translation. That's the, the Hebrew um, limping is the idea. And, and so it's kind of like this. Like you have these people, right? Ahab is just following his wife, and he's just trying to keep peace in the house. But he's kind of halting, too. He's like, I don't know who's God. I just want rain. Because I want another, I want the people not to kill me. The people are like, well, we'll worship whoever gives us rain. And so they're halting. They're, like, they're not sure that they're going to worship Baal. And, and you know how if you have a sprained ankle or something, you just kind of tread lightly on that. Elijah says, stop treading lightly. Stand for God. Stand for God, people. How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And they're just silence. Imagine that. Thousands of people on this mountaintop all come to see the big showdown. Here is the one who prayed that it wouldn't rain for the last three and a half years. And we, like, our friends have died because of this man and his prayer. Well, Satan has brought his crew as well. And this is embarrassing. Literally, their, their God is the God of rain. And Elijah brings him up there to pray for rain and to show that he is a true God. I'm going to read a little more lengthy portion here. This is a New Living Translation. I'll just add a little uh, quicker read. First, the false prophets pray. And he says, you pray, first of all, and if fire comes down and consumes this altar, then Baal is God, and then I'm going to pray. And so he brings this prayer element into this. Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left. This is verse 22 of 1 Kings 18. Baal has 450 prophets. Bill, bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. All right? There's nothing tricky here. They cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood on the altar without setting fire to it. I'll prepare another altar. Intensity is growing if you're there. Okay, they've been forced to worship Baal. They've killed the prophets of Yahweh. And now here's the showdown. Wait, have we followed the false god? About noontime, Elijah comes out. This guy, he's got, he's got, some, uh, he's got some boldness. 
he starts mocking them. It's one against everybody. And he starts getting cocky. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffs. For surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and you need to wake him up. And they shout louder. And they start cutting themselves with knives until blood gushes out. They raved all afternoon until the evening sacrifice when they should be worshiping on the altar of Yahweh. Then Elijah came to the people. Come over here. And they crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull in pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water. Pour the water over the offering and the wood. Right? There's no tricks here. Probably got this from the ocean. Um, After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. When they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. They did it the third time. The water ran around the altar, even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering in the evening, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. That's it. Prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel. I'm your servant. Prove that I've done all this in your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me. Why? So that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. All of this, the prayer, the exercises, all that the nation would return to God. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the bull, burned the wood, the stones, the dust, even licked up the water in the trench. All the people saw that they fell face down on the ground and said, the Lord, he is God. He is God. The Lord does this by God's hand through prayer, but it's God who does it to call attention to himself. That the people would no longer worship idols, right? And so, I think this may be the most visible and most visibly seen and answered intercessory prayer in all of Scripture. As he prays for the people, they return to God and repent. And God is glorified. Let me just encourage you today, right? Our church needs this needs Elijahs that are willing to be disciplined to pray. And it probably won't be on the top of Forest Hills, right, where the news media is watching you. But God sees it. And he is the same God who answers in the same way. He is just as powerful today as he was then. And he's just waiting for his people to pray. Our church needs prayer warriors. Our city needs prayer warriors. Our country needs prayer warriors. We need people who will pray more than we need our own building. More than we need outreach strategy. More than we need 
right? Neat, whatever, yoga for young mothers, right? Programs. We need people who are praying to God and God answering in spiritual needs, spiritual ways. Altars are thrown down. God's purposes are brought to, heaven is brought to earth as people pray. John Knox did this boldly. He preached in Scotland uh, to Mary, Queen of Scots. Actually, his pulpit faced her palace, and they would open the doors, and he would proclaim the gospel right, as she was trying to push Romanism on the people. And he would proclaim Christ alone, faith alone. Mary, Queen of Scots said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. That's true. Enter the veil with me, praying for God's work in our neighborhood. Let us pray that God will save everyone. Let us pray that people will know him. Let us pray that the knowledge of the Lord will fill queens as the waters cover the sea. Let us pray for individual names, like our Lord's table services, as we offer up these names. Let us pray consistently, discipline for God to work in individual hearts. That is intercessory prayer. And it's the hardest thing you'll have to do as a Christian. But it's what we're called to. And it's what God blesses. And so may we be uh, warriors called to battle in prayer. The last one, the principle of persistent prayer. Because it's difficult, it takes effort. Colin shared this just a few Wednesday nights ago in our prayer meeting. Right? It is not an easy thing to pray. Some praying is easier. But intercessory prayer is very difficult. It takes, again, effort and timing and planning. We find this in Paul. He says, right, I'm, I'm mentioning you always, without ceasing, mentioning you in my prayers. Without ceasing. There's this pray without ceasing. There's a continual spirit of prayer. But every day, Paul is bringing up these folks and their spiritual needs before the Lord. Wow, that's awesome. I think when we get to heaven, we'll see the churches that make such an impact. We'll find it wasn't the pastor or the church leadership, but were the, the folks that maybe, hopefully the pastor and church leadership, but were people there that were consistently on their knees. Winning the battle in the spiritual realm. That's what Paul did. Daily prayer, daily waiting. And this is what happens next. We find, we find Elijah doing the same thing, right? Um, Ahab went to eat and drink. Elijah climbed to the top of the mountain and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And he said to the servant, go and look toward the sea. The servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. And then he prays again. What's he praying for? Rain. Again, he comes back. I don't see anything. Seven times. Right, the second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time. At some point you're just like, okay, it's not God's time. No. He knew from chapter 18, verse 1, that God promised rain. But God's promises often entail our prayers. Praying God's promises are such a blessing. But you still have to pray. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural Blow your brain miracle that God sovereignly works through your prayers to do those things. 
And so he promises rain, but he waits for the prophet to pray. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Isn't that fascinating? And he prays the seventh time, and he says, there's just a little cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Ah, my prayers are answered. Get out of here. Run. Run. The, the rain's coming. Elijah shouted, hurry, Ahab, tell him, climb into your chariot, go back home. If you don't have, the rain will stop you. And the rain tears through. And I, I love this. Elijah runs back, right? Uh, Ahab has to go to Jezreel, uh, to his palace. Elijah runs the same amount, and he beats the chariot. 17 miles. 17 miles. It says, in the power of the Lord. Right? God is strengthening this person. But that's also showing if the king follows the prophet's lead, they will be blessed. Persistence comes from confidence in God's promises. So let me encourage you today to, to persistently pray God's promises. Right? Persistently pray God's promises. Uh, you link your prayers to the Almighty God in knowing His promises, knowing what He's intending to do, and pray that. My sanctification, my purity is God's will. The purity of my heart, the purity of your heart is God's will. So as you pray that, you know you're linked to God's promises. Right? God does not want others to perish. So as we pray for their salvation, for their faith and repentance, we're praying God's promises. Some things we don't know what His purpose is. He wants me to get a brand new Chevy Tahoe. So I can pray that, but I'm praying that in Jesus' name. Um, so I don't have God's promise behind that, but I do know he's going to provide my daily bread. And so I pray for God's provision of my daily bread, food and covering. He's going to provide that because he's promised to. And perhaps today you're praying for something that you believe that is God's spiritual will, but you're almost ready to quit. Let me encourage you to keep on asking, keep on knocking, Keep on seeking, even seven times in one kneeling. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Trust Him. As the poet put it, pray on when rough and dark your pathway, and you cannot see the light. When every spark of hope has vanished, and bright day has turned to night. Pray on, for God doth surely hear you, noting well each sad request. Pray then in faith. Truly believing that he always gives what's best. Let me just challenge in closing that that we would be praying this way. We would have persistent, intercessory, spiritual prayers. And those are the warriors that God has called us to be. And often it is during difficult times. Um, And and, in our culture, right, may be no friend of grace. Uh, May we be those who um, move forward in prayer. So was Donald Caskey. Um, His biographer states, To a few men, audacity is almost instinct. They take to risk and adventure as easily as a swallow takes to the air. This man um, found himself in France as a pastor at the beginning of World War II. 
and he spoke boldly against the Nazi regime, their prejudice as they started to take over France, um, preached against the Nazi propaganda, threatened, he continued to preach. When Germany took over France, he had an opportunity to get out on the last boat. His space was reserved. But he felt called to stay there and preach. He gave his space to someone else. He heard at that time of thousands of British soldiers who were trapped in France following the occupation. And so he saw that as his ministry, his pastoral goal. Over the next few years, he would rescue 600 of these men, providing papers for their release, working closely with spies and MI9 agencies, agents. But he worked most of all, he wasn't a spy, he worked in prayer. His biographer states, Dear God, he would pray, you think this is, um, you think this out for me, please. I'm beaten. He relied on the Lord in his regular reading of the Bible. He experienced answers to prayer, guidance with difficult situations, on occasion, unusual insights, which he believed were given to him by God. 1941, he had been arrested and threatened, stopped, and given another ticket to get out. But he determined to stay and pray and pastor. He writes, before I slept each night, I beseeched God to help us and thanked him for the guidance that stopped me accepting the offer to return to England. April 14th, 1943, he's walking, enjoying warm spring night, praying as he walked. He enters back to his home. He finds five revolvers pointed at him. He's under arrest, sentenced to prison. Bible was taken from him, so he's left with just the memory of the scriptures he had memorized in his present uh, memories of his childhood. Next month, May, he was transferred to a home that had been turned into a torture, place of torture. Listened to the screams all night. On the wall, he saw the etching of people's names in the plaster, knowing that they had been tortured to death in his cell. He added his inscription with his fingernails. And then he wrote in English from the prophet Isaiah, Thus saith the Lord, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overthrow, overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And he prayed that the Lord would use him even in prison. The next man to use his cell saw that he was ready to slit his wrist. And he saw that inscription and he did not take his life. His prayer was answered. Kasky was sentenced to execution, but the Lord delayed the execution through some workings of he knows not who. Eventually he was set free to pastor. He lived to 1983. You remember these giants of prayer on Memorial Day. Elijah, Paul. We're called to join them, maybe not seen, not written about, but just as important, just as important, the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just had some practical points of laying this out, but you can think through that. Would you, would you take some moment and talk to the Lord? I, I just feel like our church, our church needs to step up in this area and, 
Maybe that means setting aside some time Wednesday night to join the prayer team online or in person there at the office at 7. But, but a daily time aside, if you can't make that a daily time aside, and that means making a list. If you don't have a prayer list, please start a list at the back of your Bible or on your phone. Uh, we need intercessors. Pray for our community daily uh, for the salvation of folks that you know that don't know Jesus. But that takes discipline. It takes planning. It takes a list. Okay, so talk to the Lord about that. Ask him for grace. It's his grace that does it. It's not you or me. It's him. And he calls us through the example of Elijah, the example of Paul, to be people of prayer. <laughs>